Hola, bienvenidos, welcome to Tutia Bruja. I'm Bex Carlos, your host. Feliz última hora del recalentado. So for a lot of you that might not know, also, okay, well, before I get into it, right? Merry Christmas, if you celebrate that. Feliz Navidad. El recalentado is what we call the 25th. We do, we're Mexican, and a lot of other Latinos, we celebrate on the 24th. And we kind of just heat up leftovers and chill and lounge and do whatever. It's called el recalentado. You know, I've been thinking a lot about different Christmas traditions, different holiday traditions, and how they're so rooted in the family unit of togetherness and love. And, you know, I realize that not everyone has that and the holidays can be very lonely for people who don't have strong connections with their family. And, you know, it can be very lonely for people who don't have a sense of community. And, you know, if that was you, that you experienced some loneliness, just remember that, you know, it's one of those things that sometimes we have to build community. We have to build the thing that we want if we don't naturally have it. And so, you know, I'd really suggest to you that if you don't have a good relationship with your family members, you know, find community in friends, find community in creative people like yourself. If that is something that you are, uh, find community in people who think like you. And, you know, I think that it's so important to have that. And I think that my sense of wanting to build community, you know, does come from having a, such a strong family unit. And it's interesting, we introduced like a new member to the family yesterday. And you know how that's so complicated sometimes. And there's a lot of communication that has to go about and just, you know, from everyone knowing that there's a new person and all the preparation for that. And it just really has me thinking that communication is such a valuable tool. And now more than ever, we are connected, but we don't know how to communicate with each other. And you know, this episode is very powerful because I think that in order to figure out who you are, you need to figure out like who you come from, what your roots are. And, you know, sometimes there's a lot of like family secrets and there's a lot of like ugliness and it's scary, but we have to dig into that to really figure out who we are and heal a lot of that intergenerational trauma and, you know, intergenerational haunting. That's been uh, a term that I've only recently become more familiar with, but I'm like, yeah, it, it, it is a haunting, you know, it just lingers over and scares and destroys and keeps people quiet, scares them into submission. Also, uh, I want to take this moment to say that like, as we are spending time with loved ones, it is important to have conversations about real things happening in the world, the genocide of the people in Palestine, and there's a lot of other countries. But right now, I just want to focus on Palestine because Jesus was a Palestinian man and the fact that we are celebrating the holidays and being with loved ones and you know in the name of this Christian holiday and Jesus was a Palestinian man and so much of the world you know is watching in horror to what's happening and you know there's a lot of people who have obviously myself included vocalized our hatred we abhor the situation right but we don't have the power to to stop it and no matter how much we protest and this and that and this isn't to say that we owe the palestinian people resilience we owe the palestinian people endurance and so therefore we need to be able to keep vocalizing that this is something we don't agree with and today's guest is Lorraine Montague and you know that's one of the many things that we discuss we also discuss her book Brujas the magic and power of witches of color we discuss boundaries and how sometimes people just don't know how to create boundaries or they lack the skills of how to properly deal with conflict, which I think is something we all need to work on, myself definitely included. But I'm going to stop talking and let's jump into this episode. You know, I, I've been trying to get more into books and I'm really excited because I recently checked out Brujas, The Magic and Power of Witches of Color, which is by Lorraine Montague. And so, Lorraine, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast to talk about yourself, magic, and, you know, what made this beautiful book happen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be with you, Bex. You know, we met in just a wild roundabout way. We were both called upon for an episode of Missing Witches, which is such an amazing podcast. If you all out there aren't listening, please do. And we got to talk a little bit about this heavy term that is being a bruja. Yeah, what it means to be a bruja. This is something, this is a term that I grew up with, and it was like a demonized term growing up. Like, 
esa bruja, you know, is just like something you say about the black sheep in your family or the person who's not doing the thing you want. And there has been in recent years a reclaiming of this word. And that's what kind of drew my attention to it. Besides my own personal history with witchcraft and reclaiming my own personal and ancestral traditions, I was just super interested in the different ways that others were using this word as a resistance to all the ways that they had been told to be growing up. You know, whether it was assimilating to Catholicism or hiding their queerness, it's just an all-encompassing word for those of us who don't quite fit in those lines. I think a shared experience of a lot of Latine, Latino individuals is that Catholicism is very rigid and it puts you in a box. And yeah, like you said, this word is like a form of resistance. And I love how the Bruja, Bruji, Brujex community has been so good about, because again, Spanish is a very restrictive thing. And, you know, because of that, the language is very binary. And the fact that so many people are making the effort to change that is radical and amazing to me too. You know, it's like its own type of activism, Bruja activism. I personally love it. Me too. Uh, Yeah, just going back to that Brujequis or Brujex, you know, the X, it's mirroring the Latinx or Latine and this kind of resistance against the binary, the gender binary that is imposed on us. And of course, this is throughout cultures in American culture as well. But particularly in like, you know, the way that I grew up, I'm Colombian and Cuban. And growing up, you know, women, you know, certain things were ascribed to us, we had to dress a certain way, present a certain way. And I always kind of looked a little more like a tomboy, didn't really like do the things or like the things that the other girls were supposed to be in wasn't really my mom's image of what a feminine person should look like or be like. And so this is another way that the witch, but also the bruja in particular and the brujex comes in to mess with that, to mess with that gender binary. So I do very much like using the X. Okay, I think that it's been ingrained in me because the biggest criticism that people have about Latinx or Bruhex is it's like, oh, it doesn't, it's not fluid with the language. So I think that's why I've started to take to like Bruji or Latine because it does work with the language. So it's like, okay, where's your argument now? Where's your God now? You know, (laughs) I like being able to use people's logic against them because I think it makes for a stronger argument. For sure. I think that we get hung up on things like that. And really, we should be looking at the motivation behind it all is to say we are aware of the problems of our past and we are trying to do something about it. And, you know, the form that it takes is always going to be evolving. I I write about this a lot about how language is constantly fluid and evolving. And to try to crystallize it, there's always going to be problems. And it's just about, I think, just listening to each other, calling each other what we want to be called. And this is something that we see with, you know, this gender revolution that we're kind of experiencing in this generation is, okay, you might not agree. It might not be comfortable for you what other people call themselves, but it's all about respect, awareness, and consent. So just like, what do you want to be called? And I'll call you that. I think we get sometimes get distracted with those kind of like very small details. And we stop seeing the bigger picture of, okay, but why are we doing this? It's because we're trying to unsettle a truth that was imposed on us that's just no longer working. I think that that's what is really cool about being able to be Latine, Latine X people living in the United States because we... I don't know if you've heard this, but, and I've been digging deeper into this, but apparently Latina, Latinx people who live in the United States are more prone to mental illness mm-hmm. and different like anxiety disorders because the racism and the life experience that we experience is different than that of our respective like family members back in our home countries. And honestly, I think about that a lot. And I think that that's true because I also think we live in a place where we're overstimulated all of the time and we're constantly reminded of racism and oppression that we face here. And so I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, is that something that makes sense to you? You know, you relate to based on like having a Latina experience in the United States? I certainly feel that, especially growing up, I didn't fully belong 
in any one group. And I have to say, this is a good opportunity to say that I am, you know, light skinned, white presenting. I don't particularly have like, quote unquote, Latino name, Lorraine, you know, it could be European, could be American. So on first interaction, people might not really know what my background is. And so I do feel like that comes with a certain privilege of masking, of passing. So I definitely didn't grow up with the kind of racism directed at me that others, my brown skin, darker skin family members have. So I think that's important to point out. And something I definitely write about throughout the book is that we all have very different experiences based on what our family's origin story, origin story to this country is and how we present and the groups that we belong to. That said, I definitely felt like other parts of Florida. Now I live in the Tampa Bay area. There are certain parts of the culture of American culture and Southern culture in particular that like I wasn't, I just didn't grow up with. So it was really like a really huge learning curve for how to operate in a world where people don't necessarily dance at parties. You don't kiss to say hello. The food is different. The way that we show affection and talk about things is different. So I definitely have this in-between experience. And I do think that that is the thing that I found in talking to all the people who are featured in the book, all the brujas, which is is that we all share this kind of in-between experience where we don't quite feel like we belong anywhere perfectly. And we're trying to kind of get together and create community where we didn't maybe have that growing up. That's very well said. And I feel like I very much relate to that. And it's really hard to have your own identity, you know, when you are in this, like you said, the in-between this liminal space it's really hard to create like a sense of self when you don't see yourself represented. Mm -hmm. It makes sense to me that a lot of people would struggle with identity issues and mental health issues and different anxiety things because I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm living it, you know? So it's nice to be reminded that in a lot of ways, we think our experience, our life experience is so different. And it's really not. A lot of us are sharing like a paralleled experience. And I want to dive into the book a little bit. And that's what I really enjoyed about your book is that it is a lot of different accounts of different brujas and brujis with your own story and your family, you know, history kind of being the in-between connector. And I want to ask, you know, if when you were telling this story of, of not only yourself, but of other people, were there moments where you had to really put your feelings aside for family members and stuff and, and tell a story? Because I believe at one point you tell the story of your bisabuela and how, you know, she had some racist ideas and there's a lot of anti-Black sentiments in Latin America. You know, was that hard to like sort of write about because it allows for her to be judged yeah, definitely. And like, just to backtrack a little to like the mental health aspect, it was very challenging at some points to write about this stuff and also listen to the stories that I was listening to from others and, you know, remain mentally well, especially because I was writing during the pandemic. So it was like a very isolating time as it was. And this is not true across the board, but it is a fairly well-known statistic at this point that Latin American families don't seek therapy. There's a huge stigma around it, um, especially, you know, if you're undocumented or you came from particularly, you know, oppressive regime, let's say that you're in exile from, you know, going to a mental health professional and saying I have a problem is kind of dangerous for some folks. So I grew up with this kind of stigma around mental health and also just kind of openly talking about these things from the past that we had experienced. Um, you know, my family are Cuban exiles. And then on the Colombian side, we had a lot of histories with the drug cartels. So these are things, you know, that were inappropriate to be spoken about openly, but we were constantly experiencing the effects of those histories. And so in writing this, my goal was to let some stuff out into the open family secrets. And of course, in the process of doing that, you're always going to come up with resistance from your family who has not gotten to that point, you know, who have not allowed themselves of seeking help. And so I definitely triggered some family members on the Colombian side, you know, writing about our involvement with the drug cartels. I didn't do it lightly, but at the same time, I wanted to own my story. And I think that was part of what being a bruja to me is, is having the courage to let some of the things that were held secret for so long out into the open. It didn't go 
wonderfully, honestly. But over time, I think I don't regret it. <laughs> I think that's what I'm trying to say. Just to go back to what you were saying about my great grandmother on my Cuban side, she was basically the catalyst for my interest in spirituality because she was a spirit medium in Cuba. But she was also, you know, a light skinned, some European blood in there kind of practitioner calling on the spirits of more like Santeria spirits of the black Cubans in her region. But these were the very Cubans who were, you know, restricted from even joining her circles, you know. So I don't think that she was aware of that totally. But I do know that later in life, she did say that I witnessed some racist stuff. So I just feel like it's important to acknowledge that are hard to talk about. We love our families, or at least I do, you know, and like, sometimes, you know, sometimes there is bad blood between our families. This is all not to say that I don't love them and respect them. But I do think we have a responsibility to say it how it is when we're doing this work. I'm really glad that you touched on a lot of secrets need to come out, you know, in our families. And I think that that's also a reason we don't talk enough about generational trauma and the fact that it does live inside of us, you know, and secrets and things that don't come to light, like they continue to live on until eventually they come out. And I really do think that that's why a lot of us are having conversations, releasing the family secrets. I think what was really wild, I had discovered that my Mi abuela, my dad's mom, his her first husband was like shot dead in front of her. Oh my goodness. He was a mujeriego, slept with the wrong woman. And her husband was like, all right, we're going to handle this. And so my grandmother never dealt with that. The way that most of my family like talks about it is like, well, you know, it wasn't really a loss because he was like a piece of shit. And I'm like, that was still her husband, you know? And, and it's wild the way that like, family will brush it off or say like, oh, it was for the best, like, you know, whatever, whatever. But it really makes me think about, I really don't watch SNL, but I really love the Latin mom skits. Yeah. The most recent one where it was like, mijo does not have depression. He just likes the dark. (laughs) That really is what it's like to talk about mental health. Sometimes, you know, it's really tough. They don't get it because they were maybe able to push it down or like pivot their thought process or whatever that we should too. And I don't know, like, I just feel like sometimes when I need to address something, it like bubbles inside of me until it's released. Do you have a fire moon by by any chance? (laughs) Don't. I have an air moon. Okay, maybe it's air moon. I like I have a fire moon and I just like blow up, you know, like it just comes right out like a volcano. So (laughs) (laughs) I do have a lot of fire in my chart, though. I always joke that I'm just accumulation of hot air, but it really does feel like that. (laughs) Yeah, same. The thing is that this personal stuff is very political. It is very tied to a political history as well. And it is really hard. And even though we don't may not have this awareness, it is really hard for us to address our personal issues coming from the diaspora, coming from exile, without addressing the larger political reason why we're even in this country. Yes. You know, like the reason that my aunts were, you know, married off one by one to, you know, these big leaders in these cartels is that that was a way for our family to get a footing here financially, you know, and there was so much trauma in Miami in the 1980s. I don't know if you know a little bit about cartel history, and I know it's it's gotten big in pop culture with all the shows and stuff, but there really were shootouts in their streets. There really were people dying all the time for this at that time, and it was in the periphery of my life. My uncles getting incarcerated or killed, and my aunts were, you know, losing their husbands and, you know, under surveillance constantly, either by the federal government or by their own husband's people. I just saw how this led to the deterioration of my aunt's mental states, you know, and I write about how, you know, trigger warning for anyone who this is a very sensitive topic, you know, she attempted suicide and gave me the death note when I was like nine years old. This is the stuff it's like, it's not an abstract concept. It's actually lived experience. Like we're actually living through these traumas like so early on in our lives and embedded into our families. And then we don't talk about it at all. Then we just keep going on as if nothing had happened. Nobody ever talked to me about that note and my involvement in that. And so I carried that kind of like a ghost, a a shadow that I write about. And it wasn't until I was able to write the book that I actually released it. And I do think 
think that that is the power that I'm talking about when it comes to what we're doing here as brujas, brujekis, hey, bru, whatever you want to call us, um, is that we are releasing these shadows, uh, no matter what that consequence brings, which, you know, mental health, the mental health journey is rocky. And it's not a linear thing. It's a constant, like I said, coming back to not just your personal, but also the larger political thing that's happening. That's what maybe I I had forgotten to address earlier when we were talking about like Latin, Latino, like just the fact that that's what the best word we have for us. You know, it's like we have all of these different experiences from all of our different countries throughout the diaspora. We also have indigenous folks who have mixed with, you know, indigenous Americans who have mixed with our lines. We have Africans from the diaspora who have mixed with our lines. The best word we've got, I mean, just lumping us all into this one thing just makes no sense. It's a very limiting term. And you brought up something that I want to circle back to about how we don't talk about the history of why a lot of us are even in this country. And and I think that's such a valid point. That triggered a memory for me about how one time I was hanging out with somebody and they were just saying the most like ridiculous and just awful things about immigrants. Up until this point, I kept my cool and I went off on a whole fucking tangent. And I was like, you don't know shit about shit, dude. My dad explained it to me in the best way. And when he said it to me, it like made my it made like a light go off, right? He's like, Rebequita, estamos aquí para hacer dólares. And I'm like, Yeah, because a lot of us come from a lot of violence, corruption, you know, financial disparity, just a lot of things. I I was talking to his name is Joel. He works in mental health. And like he was telling me that when the Spanish were colonizing, you know, it made the family unit a lot stronger because you weren't going to like give information that would potentially hurt you or a family member. So if there was someone who was like maybe a little mentally ill, like you just were like, no, 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 that's just how they are, you know, whatever, whatever. Now, typically when people are going to a therapist for the first time and they are of like the Latin American experience, they typically ask them like, is there a history of mental illness in the family? And they're typically like, no, but then they're like, actually there's this like one uncle or this one aunt or whatever. And so there's always the loquito. Mm-hmm, exactly. That that would be me. <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> Sometimes we're considered the loquitos because we're a lot more radical, which again is my case too. I, I have both. I also think that it's very empowering because it shows the younger generations that they can also be honest about their mental health if they want to. Like you kind of addressed earlier is that like sometimes secrets come out like or they need to come out. There's this idea that like when we heal ourselves, we are healing seven generations back and seven generations forward, we all are doing the work hoping that the other generations pick up the baton and carry on. That's so true. It, it is a generational and transgenerational work. If you follow, you know, our iteration of witchcraft, you know, Bruja witchcraft and feminism, you'll see the term transgenerational haunting a lot, transgenerational trauma. And this comes from, you know, certain sectors of psychology and it is kind of a buzzword now where you kind of lose its origin in psychology and sociology and what it's all really about. And I do think when you ground it back in the histories of where we've been, how we got here, and what we're still going through in terms of colonization, another big buzz term, then you start to see what we are really trying to work on is healing. It's not like a we don't want to focus on the haunting We want to heal, but what does that actually look like in this world? I also think that for a lot of individuals, if you don't have the space to work through the past, you can't. I saw someone post something today that was like, let your childhood trauma go, let your childhood shit go. And it's like, well, it's hard if you've never actually worked through it, made the connections, processed it, right? And I also think that like this is something that I realize myself, but a lot of other people I think do need to realize is that it is a privilege, you know, to unpack and undo a lot of that. I've come to the difficult realization that a lot of the times my family in Mexico, like they don't have the time to like really sit and think about how colonization and violence and imperialism and all these things have like impacted them. A lot of people post pandemic, but like, I mean, we're still like going through it, but you know what I mean? Like post the worst of it, it's like 
we're starting to wake up in ways, realize our self-worth. And I think that it's all interconnected, right? Because it's like, well, if you have to keep working and you don't put yourself first ever and you're always giving to the monster that is capitalism, you know, you don't have that time to like focus inward. And, you know, in a capitalistic monster of a world, we do have to like prioritize ourselves, have discussions. That's what I really enjoyed about your book, because again, it's uplifting community, which I think is so important. And I feel like community is what's going to be there for us when shit gets real. Mm -hmm. Each person that you chose to tell their stories in addition to your own, like how did that happen? Was it just through divine timing moments of like someone connected you to someone else? Or, you know, what did that look like? That's to pick up the thread I left off and like my little half baked sentence about transgenerational healing. I think that's where it comes in is like, how do you actually do this without just being navel gazing and without just being like, I don't know, sitting in your trauma, like as an excuse for how you are and you never really getting anywhere. I see it just used as an excuse so much, you know, but what does healing actually look like? And I think it is community, like you said. So when I had the opportunity to write this book, you know, I even was approached by a publisher that was not actually the one I went with that wanted me to do like the cult of personality thing, where it's like all about me, all about my story. And because those books really do sell really well, it's like, here's this person who's going to tell you how to live your life and what it is to be a bruja and how you can do it. And I just thought that would be disingenuous to like the movement that is made of so many different kinds of people doing all different kinds of work. And so my aim and the one that was supported by the publisher I actually did go with Chicago Review Press was to include as many voices as possible. And basically how I went about it is like whoever would talk to me. So it was like timing at that time, like who was I following? Who was inspiring me? And who did I reach out to that actually responded? And I would just go like that one by one, like who responded? Okay, that's going to be who I start with, you know, and like, that's going to be the first chapter I write. So it was just a, you know, a years long process of slowly integrating myself into these communities, which I had already been a part of, but it was all, it was still growing gradually. And now it's just exploded, you know, and I was just so grateful to those who did take so much time to talk to me before I had anything to show for myself before I had any of the credentials, you know, in terms of like my social media or like media links or anything. I was basically like a stranger to them were so vulnerable with their stories and shared such wonderful things with me. And so that's just how it was just very organic. Oh, and then, you know, I started this right before the pandemic. And then the lockdown happened. And I had imagined myself traveling the country meeting these folks in person. And what it really turned out to be is like, this was my lifeline throughout my pandemic quarantine. And it was a really hard personal time for me. So it was also an organic process of documenting like how these people were actually helping me, how this community actually propped me up like in real time. Oh, I love that. I can kind of see that now that you mention it throughout the book, because there are a lot of really powerful stories in there. You know, obviously, if you haven't read the book, y'all like you should. But the one that really stood out to me the most was Juliet Diaz. Mm hmm. Oh, my goodness. Hers was very powerful. And, you know, she is a a force to be reckoned with, you know, (laughs) I feel like in a lot of ways, like she kind of helps remind the rest of us who are very much doing social justice work to just keep going. And, you know, I feel like she's had a lot of of moments where it seems like people want to silence her and she will not be silenced. It's inspiring. And, you know, I feel like with this podcast, I, that's funny, I shared something today. And it was, I like the idea of shutting up, but not enough to like do it for better for worse. I've been put here to observe and like point out things that don't make sense to me. And and again, I want to circle back to the beginning where you talked about living in Tampa and how living in a space that doesn't really honor or respect or show any like comparison, I guess, to like, what you're used to, that's hard. And and that's something that I've been like really thinking about is how I don't understand a lot of like American nuance. And it's because my family, I'm the first generation that's not lived on a rancho. Mm. Both of my sisters, I feel like have assimilated very well, but I can't. Like I still feel like I have that wildness in me that just can't be tamed. I think that it's very limiting because as a 
Latina, a Mexican-American woman, like, I make a lot of white men uncomfortable. (laughs) I make a lot of white men uncomfortable because pretty early on, they're like, oh, shit, this bitch is smarter than me. I think it is important to have white cis straight men in your corner that can explain things to you. Because one time I went to a job interview and the guy asked me to name off like three Nobel Peace Prize winners. Did the categories matter? (laughs) I told my friend this. He's like, oh, shit, he was sizing you up. He's like, yeah, he wanted to know if you were smarter than him. And you very much proved that you were. And I was like, oh, my parents taught me to not play dumb. You know, like I've never been someone to play dumb. So it's like, that's a weird concept for me. But apparently to navigate work culture, like nine to fives and and corporate America, like that's what you have to do, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, that's not, I can't. Yeah. And it's, it's always like intelligence on their terms, right? Like they don't know. It's so funny because like, not to say that language and what the language you speak really means anything. But a lot of times there's these monolingual people who are like testing a bilingual person. And it's like, okay, sure. I might not know all the words of your language, but I know two languages, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, or, you know, you don't know anything about the history of the countries that I come from. So it's like, yeah, you're testing me on your histories or your cultural norms. But meanwhile, there's no sense of obligation on their part to actually explore what other intelligences there are out there. And especially, you know, in the patriarchy, emotional intelligence or spiritual intelligence, you know, I think that leads me to what I was going to say in response to something else you said earlier was that this work is really at the core um, about spiritual activism. And I'd just like to take a moment to, you know, explain what I mean about that, because we're in a moment of history where we st- we're starting to see, at least in our generation, where the in this pivot point of seeing the structures that we had relied on, the structures that we were told to assimilate into when we came into this country, dismantling with uh, the wars that are going on in this world at the moment, especially the ways that we are, you know, just not being nurtured or held by capitalism or the patriarchy. This is all the underlying currents of, I think, the work that we do as brujas is to not stay quiet, like you said, to not play boba, like you said, when it comes to these issues. Spirituality, to me, is not a checking out. It's a tuning in. It's not a comfort. You know, it is a discomfort. It is like a constant calling myself into be aware of what's happening and to work on that. It's not crystals and incense, though, you know, you can incorporate those things, you know, reasonably. But I just think it's more about the stuff we're talking about today. I think that a lot of people get caught up on like the aesthetic part of it and also the rules part of it. I'm like, baby, the whole reason we're witches is to not follow the rules. Yeah, I have been in a lot of like different witchy spaces. And it's hard because depending on where the community is, I don't know if you've like noticed this, I feel like a lot of people specifically Anglo people. And I think that 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 says a lot is that they just expect people to spoon feed them magic, like a recipe or or a ritual or this and that. And it's like, I don't know if it's just like, it seems like a commodity now. People don't think that there's any weight or merit. Like, because I don't know, my thought process on this is when you are gaining knowledge from someone, you should be paying them and their ancestors because this knowledge did not just happen, right? I, I think a lot of magic is through one lived experience, just using what you have and figuring out a way to manipulate the elements to your will, you know, this is stuff that is valuable. And I don't I don't know, I think that people just want it for free. And that really bums me out. And I feel like they're kind of missing the whole point in some ways. Yeah, it's difficult. We have to survive in capitalism. It's like, I would love to just do this all for free. But the reality is, is a lot of my time and effort and energy go into the work that I'm doing, go into the unpacking and processing a lot of the shit that allows me to whether create a podcast or create a class and in your instance like write a book we should be compensated for the good and the work that we are doing definitely and we should be aware of how our actions affect others whether it's in the market or emotionally or whatever it is, who are you taking from? You know, is this going to block some other creator who is more actually, you know, historically connected to the work from 
profiting off of it. As an example, an easy example right now is, you know, like the use of sage or copal or palo santo, you know, these things that have been commodified that you now find everywhere in the mall that have been appropriated from indigenous peoples. How is your use of that and your support of maybe a white appropriator who is now mass marketing and producing these things, blocking another person's like more ancestrally connected person's ability to make a living. We see this a lot with the spiritual tourism and ecotourism like to the Amazon because people want to engage in the hallucinogen medicine like ayahuasca, for instance, and you're so bent on consuming a product or adopting an aesthetic that there's no consideration for the process that got you there and like what the consequences of that chain of supply are. I mean, these are like, you know, like you said, a lot of people don't have time to think about these things. They're just doing it. And like, it doesn't mean that they're bad. But I hope that this work is like making people like pause and ask themselves like, why am I actually doing this? What is my motivation behind this? And can I do something that is actually more rooted in my real world experience? I think it's okay to like, appreciate and learn about other cultures, but I think that there is a line between that and appropriation. Yes, very much so. I want to circle back to something that you said about taking trips and these experiences because I had seen something that was like, why is it that so many practitioners of spirituality in whatever way you want to call it, why is it that enough of them aren't speaking out on what's happening in Palestine? Why is it that these people that call themselves empaths are like not speaking out? And Someone summed it up in a way that really kind of made me take a step back and made me think about it. And it's like they are seeing this collective awakening happening. A lot of these people thought that they would be the center of it. They thought that they would be the ones giving this knowledge or sharing this wisdom. And because they're not the ones centered in waking people up in this massive way, like they don't want to address it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, that that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people do work out of ego and do want to be this cult leader, it feels like, you know, they want everyone to like practice the way that they do and do everything the way that they do. And that's just like not realistic. And it's not it's working out of a place that's really upsetting. I think it makes us it made me take a step back and be like, are you doing this out of a place of like trying to help? mostly like myself, right? Like, because you can't heal or help other people, I feel, until you kind of work through shit yourself Mm -hmm. because it's, it's kind of just empty, you know? And so it really did make me kind of look at people in a different way because I just, to take on the term witch, to take on the term bruja or bruhex or bruji is to also on your back put the oppression of all of these people and to basically say like, It stops here, you know, like I, within reason, because we can't take on the whole world, I'm going to do what I can to stop the suffering of other people, you know, we can be truth tellers, and we can, you know, tell people their truths, but we also need to work out of a place that is wanting to change the world collectively for the better. Yeah, for sure. Because I think people, you know, they reach for spirituality, a lot of people because they're hurting and they need something to help them heal and like you said feel like they're making personal progress but unfortunately that kind of creates like a closed circuit a lot of the times where it's like you know only about my own personal healing and anything that challenges that healing is going to be ignored or attacked you know and so I think I've been seeing this a lot with the pandemic is people who you know are quote-unquote spiritual and particularly like the ones that call themselves like wellness coaches and stuff like that who are definitely like you know amassing followers to emulate them and to live the way that they live when things get complicated and messy in the world when there's a you know global virus or when there is a war that we are funding that is you know ultimately killing one group of people and what it amounts to is genocide in my understanding what that word means then it's like oh well that doesn't match with what I'm doing here that's kind of messing up my own healing journey so I'm just going to ignore that I'm not going to address it or I'm going to attack anybody who you know makes me think about this or maybe it's always been happening but I've become aware of it during the pandemic is that there's a lot of spiritual folks out there who just are asleep to what's actually happening in the world. And I think it's unfortunate because I don't think that spirituality and world events are 
mutually exclusive. I think that they are one in the same and that when we do this work, it is shadow work is another phrase that's been thrown around from popular psychology. And it is the process of facing the worst parts of us, the worst parts of our humanity and ourselves and how we enact those things and how we are continuously like perpetrating it ourselves. And so this work is not neat and there's no how-to guide to do it. It's more about just like allowing yourself to open up to the constant complexity, the messiness. And in the whole motivation that I have, my personal motivation is understanding. And the thing is, it's not neat. There's no like pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. The more work you do and the better you get at it, the more you're leading yourself towards like more and more confusion. It is a path of confusion, but there's magic in that path, I think. I agree. I think there is. With being a bruja, spiritual practitioner, whatever, I do think that we have a responsibility, you know, to when we see things going on in the world to like say something. And I do think that there is a lot of people who take part in spiritual bypassing or are kind of like good vibes only. And it's like, that's just not... It's not part of the human experience to just be that happy all the time. Like you're clearly ignoring things that are very prominent. I think that there's been a lot of, not just in like spirituality, but also just in society, a lot of co-opting of different terms that a therapist would use. And I also think it's funny. I, I, uh, I've been really stuck on this idea and there's been articles like written about it. And my friend and I were talking about it, about how like, you know, technology, we have so much technology. And so in some ways, we're so connected to each other. But like, in some ways, we're so disconnected from each other. I don't know the fact that like people can't have at times like a conversation to just let people know, like, you know, I think we're just on different life paths, like, and that's okay, you know, instead of doing that, like people just ghost people are so amusing to me. Something about our society has made us feel that people are so disposable, you know, and I realize that sometimes I'm guilty of that too, because I'm a big burn the bridge while I'm still on it. And I think that sometimes that is a necessity in life. But I also think that we can't get to having a community if we don't know how to handle conflict resolution. Exactly. That's such a good point is and especially in the era that we are speaking in right now, we're going to come up with people who just have different opinions from us. And, you know, I do think that it's healthy to cut out and how you said ghost um, certain people if you feel like it's a harmful interaction for you um, that's your right to do so but like you said there's a trade-off if you do want to build community those who you feel you want to be in community with are going to sometimes have a different perspective and that's where the magic is that that's what we're doing here we're not trying to create a monolith we came from an imposed monolith you know latinos or whatever and catholicism and we're trying to break that which means many viewpoints which means we're not just seeing this through a prism of one it's all of us and um it's gonna be messy and hard but i think you know when we talk in person like this not that we're in person right now but i feel like this is you know a personal conversation Mm -hmm. I feel like people, the best of humanity comes out in those interactions rather than like the really quick comments, uh, hot takes, whatever on social media. That's where you start to see like that reactive. What about, what about this? What about that? You know, it's like, you're not ever going to convince somebody in a comment section. That's not where we should be fighting our battles. We should be listening to each other. We should be talking to each other and like actually engaging and listening and allowing a little opening for you to like change your mind. And so I think, you know, I have cut out people where I feel like, okay, you've disrespected a boundary of mine. But like you said, we have kind of adopted these therapy terms like boundaries, you know, and I think we have taken it a little too far in the spiritual world. We are not licensed therapists. And, you know, we are not here to diagnose people with mental illnesses to like shun them, you know, and I feel like we do that a lot in the social media world. But these terms have been helpful in understanding ourselves, but we have to like also take everything with a grain of salt. Like, okay, it's important to create boundaries, but are those boundaries sometimes keeping you from connecting? Two thoughts that I have on boundaries. One, if you decide to create boundaries, and again, maybe the situation feels unsafe, but if you don't communicate what those boundaries are, You can't be upset with people for not knowing what they are. Yeah. So I think that that's one thing that I want to address too. And the second one is I feel like I see a lot of people think that their boundaries control other people. 
And I think that what we need to remember sometimes about boundaries is like boundaries are for us. So it's like if someone violates our boundary, like we are then free to not engage with that person. But we can't tell a person like, hey, don't talk to me right now. Like I'm putting up this boundary, which I mean, I guess you can. But then like, if you tell someone like, hey, I can't talk to you right now, and they violate that, then you don't have to reply, right? You can't enforce punishment on others. You know, it's like, you can't control others. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's the reason that boundaries exist. Because you can't control others all the time, but you can control what you put your attention to, what you give your energy to. But I have seen it taken to an extreme where someone's like, their personal boundaries are so rigid that they just don't engage at all in these more difficult conversations that come up to something that they disagree and feel very tender about. And like, you know, it's a hard balance to strike. But I think we have to ask ourselves, like, is this a healthy boundary? Or is this like escapism boundary? Is this a like, you know, I just refuse to engage boundary that that right there? Yes. And I think that that's what it is. A lot of the time they ghost or they just don't deal because they just don't have the emotional intelligence to handle it. You know, that's the thing. We're all working. We're all growing. We're all trying to build emotional intelligence, which like I feel a lot of us didn't have, especially with parents who were maybe like dysregulated and didn't know how to, you know, I think that that is one of the generational wealth, so to speak, that we don't talk about enough is like having parents who are very emotionally intelligent and can like actively communicate. Who does that? (laughs) Oh boy, definitely didn't growing up. (laughs) Definitely did not. Yeah, and we're all reenacting the ways that we were raised. And, you know, I'm lucky that I feel aware of it, but it doesn't mean that I can just completely break free of it either. Like, I see it all the time and the holidays are such a trigger for this. Like right now, you're just having gone through Thanksgiving and the December holidays coming up. It's just like as aware as you are of it, you're still going to get triggered and like maybe respond in a way that you wish you were past it, you know. And I think what I tell people this time of year is just to be patient and kind with yourself and just remain aware. But again, you can't control everything. And it's really important to just like, be where you're actually at. And like, yeah, we all want to be in this wonderful place where we're all emotional, intelligent and healed, but it's just not the reality. So (laughs) the best we could do is just like, try to listen and be as kind to ourselves and others as we possibly can. That's all I got, you know? Yeah. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts on your book or anything you'd like to make people aware of. I mean, it's such a great book, dude. I hope you realize that like, you. you really did do a service not only to I feel like yourself and like doing a lot of that ancestral healing, but you really I feel like you did a good job of a lot of people who are reclaiming this title because like you said, they they have like, generational trauma that maybe they weren't able to speak about and whatnot. Like, you know, this is a way to feel like not so alone because a lot of the stories are heavy. And there are some people whose stories aren't as heavy, but they are equally as powerful. And any anything you'd like to for someone who is wanting to check out the book, you know, thoughts that you'd like your potential readers to have? Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I've had a lot of messages from readers over the last few years about the book. And um, I think what really impacted me the most hearing from them is that it's a work in progress. And the book um, became a portal for them to connect to some other thing outside of the book. So I invite you to take what resonates and leave the rest. It's not like a comprehensive, this is a how-to. There are some prescriptive elements in there because I wanted to provide something like, you know, that you could do. And so I offer like the ancestral altar and some other little rituals, but mostly it's stories and mostly it's resources. So take what really resonates with you. And I hope that that will lead you down a path of like connecting with a lot more people. Um, different authors or different creators online and your own finding your own community. I hope that it's a guide, but you know, I also am really aware that it's just a starting point and that we're all doing this together and it is not the resource, it's a resource and I hope that you will continue and I hope that uh whatever that work is that you will share it with the world too. I love that. Um Lorraine, where can everyone keep up with you, you know, see what you got going on and just know what you're doing in the world 
Uh, so I am most accessible on Instagram at Witchy Heights. I am working on a website all the time and I hope to have it up by the end of the year and that will be witchyheights.com. I operate very much on a local level in the Tampa Bay area and particularly St. Pete. So if you're local to St. Pete, holler. But otherwise, yeah, Instagram at Witchy Heights. Thank you again for listening. All the ways that you can support Lorraine are in the show notes. And please, please, please keep an eye on one, the work that she's doing because she is so smart and so talented. And I'm so glad that she joined us for this episode. In addition to that, please keep an eye to Palestine. These atrocities need to be heard if, you know, the press and the people who are living it want and need us to be aware, then we need to pay attention. As we're being horrified, we need to keep boycotting. We need to keep calling our representatives. We need to keep demonstrating, protesting, raising funds, you know, to help the Palestinian people locally. Unfortunately, as aid is going in, it doesn't always go to the right places. So by speaking up and figuring out other resources and how we can help people who might have a more direct connection, that's very important. There's, you know, still a lot of sending of e the eSIMs, I believe. Um, there's a lot of things that we can do and we should continue to do so. I, for one, want to apologize because I know I have been speaking out about this, but there's so much more I could be doing. This is just a reminder that we have so much more power than we think that we do. And please keep speaking up. Your voice is literally the most important thing that you have. And I think that we forget that. And sometimes we keep quiet in situations where we're uncomfortable or situations that don't resonate or serve us. Sometimes we're causing the most harm by not communicating our needs, our wants, our desires, our expectations, you know, and the best way that we can be, the better ways that we can be advocates for ourselves, the better that we can be in more healthy, loving, communicative relationships. So this is just my little, I guess, gift to you that you are much stronger than you seem. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, rate, subscribe, keep tuning in. Sometimes we have really cool conversations like this one. And I'm going to share some different uh, individuals who are in Palestine that I think that you should keep up with. And additionally, please follow Lorraine. All of her information is in the show notes. Have a great day. I love you. Bye. Oh, yeah, yeah.